There is no one know the hardship great those island people stand. They're miles away out in the sea, separated from mainland. And day and night they have to fight the angry billows roar. As ten to one if a storm comes on, they will sink and rise no more. It's a lonesome place now. It's very lonely now, isn't it? When you get down to five, five or six families, uh, uh, you'd like company. Nice thing to ride out at night. When you go on the mainland, after eating your supper at night, when you get dark, it's a nice thing to walk out and walk out on the main road and walk down to a pub and have a drink and a game of cards and enjoy yourself and go to a dance. Didn't, but I wouldn't go to a dance. Yeah. Never would to go to a dance. Out of Fulton Island, I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Well, the school is the biggest problem in it, do you know? And going in, the teacher, especially this time of year, it's very hard on him to get down the boat uh, on his own, you know, to go row out to the beach to take her in. And then the other family leave her out on Friday, Martin Hennen. But it's very hard on the teacher and on the scholars as well. That was a fine place to live, you know, and to work and all that, but uh, it was very inconvenient for getting out to the mainland and getting to Mass or to the shops or anything like that, you know. And uh, it was a place you could never keep a big boat to be useful in the line of moving anything heavy or anything because there wasn't proper facilities for the, uh, the line of a pier or anything like that in it. In either of the two islands, they wanted a pier for to bring a big boat into. And therefore, they are only place for currucks or any kind of own boats, you know, up to two or three tonne, that's all. Many islands off the west coast of Ireland have ceased to be inhabited during the past 40 or 50 years. The reasons for their evacuation are many and varied, but if a date and an immediate cause have to be assigned to the beginning of the exodus, one could settle for 1927 and the drowning of ten fishermen from Inish Gay off the coast of Mayo in that year. Seven years later, as Michal McHenry told us in a recording made ten years ago, the inhabitants of Inish Gay, north and south, were transferred to the mainland. To go recently in 1934, well, in Ulain Ella, a moyen shin reg for Stoi Goodrecht the deserted islands of Inishglora and Inishkay are featured in T.H. White's book The Godstone and the Blackamoor, describing in part the quest for the Nawog or image to which the islanders once attributed magic powers, 
and which they dressed up in a new suit of red flannel each year. Many of these islands were rich in lore and in archaeological remains. Inish Murray off the coast of Sligo is famous for its ecclesiastical ruins, its stations or pilgrimage and its cursing stones. In 1936 there were about 100 adults on the island and 20 children, but according to Thomas H. Mason in his book The Islands of Ireland, no harbours, no roads, no clergy, no police, no magistrate, no doctor, no shop, no rates, no rats, no public house. It could be a description of some of the islands still inhabited. Murray was evacuated exactly 30 years ago in 1948, and some of its former inhabitants may now be found around Moneygold and Grange on the Sligo mainland. Well, I was born and raised in Murray, and all I know about Murray, we had our own school there, we had our own chapel there in Inishmurray. And the priest used to go to Nishmurray twice a year for the Mass and the Holy Communion. Well, people um, still go out to the island, don't they? Oh, they do. Oh, they all go from Mullachmore in the summertime. Oh, there's plenty of people and some visitors. And the houses Strangers. are still the there? The houses are still there, but you said they're not as good as they used to be. Mm-hmm. When the fire goes away and people leave the house, there's no more heat fire, the doors is locked and the shutters are under one and that's that. Mrs Mary Donlan is one of the few people who can actually claim to have been born on Inishmurray. As was the case on many other islands, an expectant mother who could arrange to go to the mainland before the birth of a child usually did so. One of the best known of Inish Murray people, for example, Dr Patrick Herity of Sligo, was not born on the island. I was reared on Inish Murray. Uh, I wasn't actually born there. Uh, very few people were born there because uh, the expectant mothers took precautions that such didn't happen. But I leave it there. Why was that? Well, uh, facilities for childbirth, of course, would be the reason of it. Attendance at childbirth. And they usually went not to a hospital, as very few people went to hospitals then. They went to the house of some friend on the mainland and had the babies there and came back to the island after some time. But uh, only those that were uh, born before the way expected were actually born on the island. Lack of medical facilities would be one of many considerations in persuading people to abandon island life. Podrigo Crouchy, headmaster of Afford School on Aaron Moor, mentions some other factors as he looks out at the many islands now deserted around that part of Donegal. The farthest south would be Inisalia, and Inisfree is almost uninhabited now. Then you had Inisgera, and you had Rutland, Iuk and Shiktar, Inisku and Didirinish, and also Oe Island. Even in this parish of the Rosses, and there were others in Guidor as well, Gol and Ishman and Ishetter, and they have been all abandoned. Inishkera was abandoned in 1955. Oe, uh, the last people left Oe Island about 1975. Uh, the people left uh, Inishfree about 10 years ago, and the people left Inishsalia about 1931. Inishsalia was the first island here, as far as I know, that was abandoned or vacated. And they, they all followed gradually after that, did they? Well, there seemed to be a gradual uh, abandonment since from the islands. They left the islands and went to live on the mainland. And that trend has been accelerated by the fact that the Burton Port fishing uh, has been developed during the last 20 years. The people who lived on the islands, the young men especially, got jobs 
as fishermen on the trawlers, and when the young men left the islands, like uh, Inish Free and uh, Oi Island, well, the old people had to follow them and come to the mainland. There was a sort of pattern then. Well, there's general pattern all over the country that wherever the young person goes, the old person must follow because they're not able to man the boats on their own, and they wouldn't be able to supply themselves with the necessaries of life from the shops on the mainland. Most of the now deserted islands were, of course, Irish-speaking, and in some like Inish Murray, the language survived long after it had disappeared on the mainland opposite. Thomas H. Mason's statement in 1936 that the inhabitants of Inish Murray do not speak Irish may mean nothing more than that he didn't speak Irish to them. Most of those I met, even though it was many years later, had some Irish, and that impression was confirmed by Joe Nalan, who married an island woman and is himself among the last of the native Irish speakers of Sligo. The people that left it yeah. spoke to Irish up to, up to about 20 years ago. 20 so, years ago? So it's only Kersfeld, the man you were talking to. <coughs> his everyday language was Irish. His mother and his, his, uh, his uh, grandmother, and my father-in-law and mother-in-law and Mihaly, he was a Shanachai. They spoke Irish up in the day they came to Sligo. And after they came up here, some of them, some of them died here with me. Mm. And they never spoke English. It was all Irish. Life on the islands was different, if only because of their isolation. The Irish language survived longer on them. Old customs and beliefs survived, often a whole way of life that had barely changed since the last century. The great example of the dispersal of a closely intervolved island community was, of course, when the people of the Blaskets moved to the mainland around Dunquin in County Kerry in 1953. Because of its crop of famous writers, no island has had its social or cultural life better documented than on Blasquade Moor. Peg Sayers recorded much of it for Radio Erin. Will we slow Both the delights and the difficulties of life on the Great Blasket have been well chronicled. The final departure has been put down to the failure of the fishing and a decline in population which was steadily growing more elderly. In the years since the island was evacuated, however, there's been a tendency to look back with nostalgia or even sentimentality to a romanticised version of life there, particularly in song. 
Ach, de barlem fosen nie aun is schin gledle kele. Wer sport auranis rinke grin skelto ofexers. Hochter amage dian of set is na dale geg schement kol. Wer ihe erak maiden grin is die den wasket mol. The Great Blasket was by no means the most remote of Irish islands to be evacuated. In 1960, any shark, eight or nine miles off the Galway coast, out beyond Inishboffin, was the next to give up. Having visited myself when it was still inhabited, I can say that it was certainly not an easy island to get into. The last stage of the journey from Cleggan between Boffin and Shark had to be made by Curragh, and the lack of harbour facilities was a major factor in sealing its fate. Richard Murphy, the poet who has lived on a number of islands, including Inish Boffin, saw the reasons for leaving it like this. Inish Shark is obviously too small for anybody, so they rightly moved off. They were, it was thickly populated in the old days because, simply because of, of, um, of the oppressive circumstances on the mainland. Well, why did it eventually go down? What was the final deciding factor? It was only uh, 500 acres of land, which up the country... Of that quality land, they think was 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 a farm for for uh, just two or three families, and and uh, the young people didn't want to stay there. They, they had no proper harbour, and it wasn't a modern way of life. There had been a great fishery there in the in the past, in the days of line fishing, but line fishing is not not popular nowadays. And all loyal people. Throughout the nation combined with me and Lindenir This thoughtful tragedy I'm now revealing that has caused many's a silent tear That's a disaster, nothing came faster Being in October, we long-minded it those brave fishermen, they went out fishing on a Friday night, being the 28th. They left their homes late in the evening, about five o'clock, as I now relate. It's little thinking, when the stars were blinking, that they would meet with a drowning fate. When a wildland hurricane bore down upon them and flared large vessels with their shrinking crowds, it was an tornado, a cyclone nature that scattered rainbows and burst the clouds. With the lightning flashing and tinder rolling, where brave men cannot see where they can go. Some tried in vain 
their homes to gain all pouring rain. It had been mixed with snow. It caused a great sensation over every station where brave men were fighting through splash and spray. That left men sleeping and many weeping from residuals into lack and bay. Many families on both Inish Shark and Inish Boffin lost relatives and friends in what was called the Cleggan disaster of 1927. But there were other tragedies involving perhaps a single family, and in one of these, Tom Lacey, known as the King of Inish Shark, lost two sons. Easter Sunday morning. The rest of my boys was over in, over in England. That one was there for myself and the Roman, and those two boys, two fine men indeed. No harm, to say it. All right. They got up in the morning, Easter Sunday morning. I wasn't up, and they had a joke about the sun, about the sun being dancing for them in the morning, as we used to use to all the time. They had a good breakfast. They went down to the shore and got another man and got a canoe and crashed over, and it was choppy to go to the harbour of the mouth. They get wet. So this... Strand over here was enticing. It was very, very calm the north side. Very, very calm. Sea was very calm. They landed there, left up their canoe. They ran it. And I'm told they overtook mass. They went into that unfortunate place over there. I believe they stayed too long in it. The tide got too high. And when they come back, they was determined to come home by all means. They had nobody here but their disabled father and their old mother and their department pull at the time to look after this young man. Then three men come back and they took their canoe. They left her down. We must admit they had a few things on them. Not too much, I was told. But they were determined to come home by all means. They left her down. And they didn't know anything about the place. The sea come. Perhaps they mightn't be bored at all. The Sheikh command the Karachan and themselves know more about him. Tom Lacey, in whose house we stayed just before the last six families left in Ishark in October 1960, had good reason to feel a grudge against the cruel sea, and he had then no regrets about leaving the island. There was no man on this island. Build their home with their own hands, but myself. I built it and I furnished it with my own hands and reared seven of my family in it, and lost two of them. Mm-hmm. I have two boys in home here, mm-hmm. and I have a girl in England and two boys more there. They're all married now. Mm-hmm. But still, I won't be sorry in a way. My day's coming, and as I said before, I'll get the rest of the church, please God, and, and that'll be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yet when the day came for Tom Lacey to leave his home in any shark, he refused to go with the rest, and actually spent a whole night on his own out in the Atlantic, before he was finally persuaded to join his family and fellow islanders on the mainland near Cleggan. He was an island man who really deserved to have ballads made about him. That day we spent in merriment it was growing dark We gave three cheers for Ireland and lovely in the shark Twas there we met Tom Lacey that 
chieftain bold and true, who fought against victorious troops and the tans he did subdue. He led his men both fierce and grim and conquered many a foe. Until he came to Tara's hill, which proved his overthrow. T'was there he was surrounded by the land commission men. Surrender now, my boys, they said, or we will choose to kill. And have you all transported to the rocks of Fountain Hill? Tis long we will remember that cold October day. They left him there in deep despair without either turf or hay. God bless brave Thomas Lacey, he was a hero evermore. And now he's like Napoleon on St. Helena's shore. Now to conclude and finish, I hope I've said no wrong. And the first time I will visit you, I'll sing for you this song. So Tom, my dear, be of good cheer and rise up with the lark. And bless the day you sailed away from lovely in the shark. <laughs> The saga of Tom Lacey did not end with his leaving any shark. It's one of the ironies of the island story that those who looked forward so eagerly to life on the mainland as the solution to all their problems were very often disillusioned when their ambition was realised. Just ten years ago we revisited Tom Lacey and the any shark people where they had settled around Fountain Hill and we asked Tom if he really blessed the day he sailed away from lovely any shark. We had good farm on the island. Very good farms. Was able to hold any cattle there. I mean, it was transferred into a very poor place. No, it's right, I think. I'll tell the truth. Miserable place, indeed. Couldn't keep there only by the cover of cap. That's you had, all. You had plenty of cattle in the other place. Plenty of cattle on the other place. All we wanted to. Plenty of good land. So here the land is poor and bad and miserable. And the man, the shark man that migrated from any shark out to here, to live here, he cannot live. He cannot live on the land anyway. Mm. A lot of them seem to have gone away. The young people seem to have emigrated. Young people is emigrated mostly all together and one that's able to go is gone. So that, as I say, they have to stay. And a poor, miserable living they'll have here unless they go fishing. And the fishing has turned out bad now too, at the present time. Very bad, indeed. The weather is the cause of it altogether, I believe. We see the weather. So anyway, we are going on fairly well here. In the first place, anyway, we, had, we have an opportunity that we hadn't in any shark. We'd say, I'd have to say that much. We can get a medical aid if we wanted it. We can get a clergyman if we wanted him. And we can get the, our male regular. Well, that's one opportunity now, anyway. I miss the land. I miss the land and the way of living we had. 
It was a good way living. You were all together there and all we're close all to one another. All together there, all together there. Living happy, very, very happy. Way happier than the mainland. After Inishark, the next major island to be abandoned was Gola, a couple of miles out from Bonbeg in the Donegal Gaeltacht. Only a few families were left on it when we visited it in 1967. The land seemed good, the houses were in excellent condition, and some of the islanders were quite prepared to stay. But as Sean McGinley, author of a couple of books on the island, told us recently, the young people had the last word. <laughs> Nivel dinner be than which your organisic smooth your gullarasha and a gullachonian. Oh, ni ni tamakintin, I will er Kaimar the wine red for which your nishmanian is er Kainch at the Saurusti, digging the honey to the gotiha near yields and a couple of chat, I guess, er Vinch at the Steeria Tauri, er, I guess, get Lima, Nias get them rather than a Nianan, which are all the Harvey Mar what happened to Gola in 1967 and to Shark in 1960 is now being repeated in the case of two other western islands, Inishturk South and Inishturbet off the coast of Connemara. For some years now, only two families have lived on Inishturk, one of these reasonably happy to remain, the other not having up to now much alternative. When we visited the island about this time five years ago, there were around 20 people living on it, eight of them being schoolchildren, and seven of the eight belonging to one family, the Burks. Joe and Mrs Burke told us why they had not joined most of the other families who had moved to the mainland. Well, I can't afford to pay for a house to get out of it, you know. We'll have to wait through the land commission do something for us to take it out of it. Well, is that the only reason... Oh, that's the only reason I'd want to stay in it. I'd, I don't mind leaving it at all. And do you feel the same, Joe? Would you like to stay or...? Uh, uh, well, uh, I'd like to go, but I'd like but I'd like land, you know. I want... Uh, I've a big family to rear, and I, I'd like a lot of milk I'd want to buy, and I want spuds, and I want... And you haven't got... I haven't uh, any land at all, or you wouldn't have any land on the mainland. Well, I wouldn't get. I suppose I wouldn't get any money, a site, or a house, and that would be no good to me. So, so you intend to stay? That's about why I have to stay, anyways, I suppose. The Burke family have now finally got a fine new land commission house with all modern facilities near Clifton, and will be leaving Inish Turk within the next week or so. The only other family, the Hannans, were and are determined to stay on the island. Mrs. Bridget Hannan told us why. 
Because I like the island, and I'd like to live on the island. And is there a good life to be had on the island these days? Yes, there is a good life on the island. If you are fish to work on the island, and fish to fish, and fish to do everything, there's a good life. And is there a life for young people on it? Well, it's kind of hard on young people, you know. There's, there isn't much, like, sort of life for them, like... And the line of going in and going out, like. Young people is different to old people. They couldn't go to a dance or they couldn't much go in any place, especially in winter time. But now that most of the families have, in fact, left and more leaving, you know, how is it, how is it going to work out after that for the young people who are left? Well, I don't know. That's up to themselves. Life is as you make it. <laughs> But island life can very often be at the mercy of the elements, and, as we've heard already, a drowning or similar tragedy can be the catalyst determining whether islanders go or stay. Both Turk and Turbot were deeply affected by the tragedy of four years ago when three young men returning to Turbot from Clifton after watching Galway play on television were drowned. For Christians all on you I call Come join with me and pray For the souls of those three turbot men that were drowned on Airford Bay When they left their boats at Airford The sun was shining bright But when they returned later It was the dark of night Though dark with gloom they sailed for home Without either dread nor fear And little Annie of them thought the death it was so near When suddenly from the southeast a hurricane it blew and the rain it fell in torrents, what could those poor men do? But look to the Almighty God and what they were going through. It was two, just two weeks after to grieve your heart full sore. To see the father of three orphans washed up on the seashore. With jet black hair like one in prayer, he lay upon the sand. Far from his home and family upon the Airford Strand. After the drowning tragedy of 1974, few of the 16 or 17 families then living on Inish Turbot really wished to remain. On the mainland, they shared the same landing facilities, that is, the stony exposed strand at Airfort, with the people of Inish Turk. But they suffered a further disability, a lack of spring water. We didn't have any water before the well was drilled. What we used to have to use was water from the bogs which would be kind of brown in colour and wouldn't taste very good. We started to use it for drinking and washing and everything. But they, uh, the county council, then about 15 years or so ago, they drilled a well um, 
in a sandy place, and there the, the, the was a rock about, uh, the wood is about 15 feet deep, and uh, this, there's about that much sand over it, but they struck water there anyway, and it's a spring well. It lasts most of the year, except maybe for a couple of weeks in midsummer, or it dries. Willie Clancy talking to us on Inish Turbot four years ago. Since then, Willie has got a house with central heating on a half acre of land not far from Clifton, the same type of house that other islanders are now getting on the mainland. My sister is up in Tiverloch, that's a streamstone, and um, there's one, two, three, four. There are four other houses, members of the same family, cousins and so on, and, and brothers. Uh, up in the two near her, so that's five houses all together in Streamstone, and there's one in uh, Dunin, that's about a mile south of Clifton, over the hill, and uh, there are uh, three or four back in Fahey, that's near the sea, near Ardemore, like you know, Fahey uh, or Bilek, you know, and then uh, there is uh, there are about three out in Kill, Kingstown. And I think that's about all of them that's there now, except for the house that I got built in West Gaul on. Uh, but I'm in, living in a year and a half now, and uh, I only got 6,000 of a grant to see. They're giving the other ones, uh, oh, paying for everything, you know, electricity and and uh, everything. And they're very nice houses too. They are, but at that time, you see, that I took it, I was satisfied to take what I was getting because I wanted to get out of the island because... I used to get very depressed in there, you see, in the ba- bad weather, and the winter time especially. When we met Willie Clancy on that occasion, he had just come out from Inish Turbot after a week in which no coral could land at Airford Strand. We asked him if that was a big factor in influencing people to leave the island. That's right, that's most of the reason why they're leaving. And um, I suppose to on account of the people getting drowned two or three years ago, that kind of uh, set them thinking more, you know. And uh, uh, the diffic- another difficulty is a big difficulty is they never get a mass very often, except maybe about uh, a couple of times in the year to Kingstone, three miles away. So then they'll, when they're out here, they'll be able to come to Clifton to mass every Sunday. And another thing is uh, coming, having to come out every Saturday for groceries and supplies, and get a taxi, bring them back to the beach, the landing point then put them into the Curragh and row three quarters of a mile, whether it's rough or cam, then put them out on the quay again and carry them on your back down to the house. That applies to bottled gas as well as everything else. Mrs Ellen Wallace, who left Inish Turbot a couple of months ago, is delighted to be getting one of the new houses at Teva She has no romantic illusions about life on the island, or about the new life either. Well, there was a lot of hardship in us, of course, and hard work. We had no turf there and no spring water. That was mostly the way we left. Otherwise, it was easy enough to live in it. But the crossing in and out was rough in winter time and springtime. The summer is nice, very nice, the summer is in it. So you, you don't think you'll miss very much then by leaving the island? No, I won't miss very much. The only thing I miss is that I don't see any way of making a living out here because we have got no land, only just an acre the site where the house is built and that's all we can't keep a cow anything like that that's going to be very hard and they're away from the fishing they won't be able to do any fishing from here as far as I know the youngsters Michael Walsh boat builder and ballad maker formerly of Inish Turk and now living at Fountain Hill 
feels that the young people may yet live to regret leaving the islands. Young people rather have be on the mainland, you know, but that's where they're foolish. They're able to handle themselves in and out and colour their boats. And while they're able for that, they make great living in the islands, beside being out on the mainland. And then, you know, they don't spend as much when they're on the islands either. They'll only make, make a day out in every month, maybe, or if there was fishing time or anything, they mightn't come out for two months or three months, you know. And there are no pubs on the and islands. That's what I mean. There's no, <laughs> you don't spend as much money in it as you sp- they spend out here. But that's probably one reason why they want to leave them, is it? Well, they think that, the, the gay life is on the that's on a, the mainland. That's a bit of foolishness of them too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, in the line of them coming out and living out on the mainland now. There's a good few in it that are getting a bit old, you know. And when people get over uh, get, get over seventy at all, they're too old. They're not fit to go in or going out. And if they haven't sons of their own, then to ro- work the boat for them and help them into the karach. Uh, help them into the karach. They'd be in a bad way, you know, they couldn't come out. Richard Murphy also sees two sides to the evacuation of the islands. Well, if you call it an evacuation, it sounds sad, but I think probably to the people who, who are leaving the island, it's, it's a new, new future that they're, they're um, interested in and excited about. They have new houses on the mainland. They won't have to cross the, the dangerous sound in the dark on the winter nights to get home if they go visiting, but it it does mean the end of a very long-lived community. But I wonder uh, why they were there in the in the first place. Wasn't it possibly because of the the famine and the evictions further up the country? And isn't this kind of the last return to the land of people who got pushed out to the parts of Connemara. With two more islands now on the point of being deserted, what does the future hold in store for those still inhabited? Next week we look at Torrey off Donegal, which may be next on the list for clearance. Apart from Torrey, however, the larger islands look like holding out. Cape Clear off Cork, the Arran Group and Inishboffin off Galway, Clare Island off Mayo, Rathlin off Antrim and Arranmore off Donegal. Aaron Moore may be typical of the larger and more viable communities and it looks as if it will last for a long time yet. Padraig O'Knavshi. My own uh, opinion is that the people, it will last for at least three more generations. Now a generation, in my estimation, would be about 30 years, so they will last for 100 years. And we don't know what will happen then, but at least that length of time. I can't see it being abandoned until the fuel supplies are exhausted. and that, They should last out for... 60 to 100 years. And of course it's also one of the few islands that has uh, cars on it. Yeah, there uh, there must be upwards to 50 or 60 cars on the island. Well, the distances on the island are probably bigger than most islands. I, I suppose I, the Arnmore Island is four and a half miles long by three miles wide. And for that reason they have more reason to use cars than anywhere else. You wouldn't have the same opportunity or the same necessity for using cars we'll on a small island like in a Spree or Torrey Island. And then uh, there are three harbours on the island and it's very important to have a car or a lorry or some kind of vehicle that'll bring your fishing gear to, to from your place of residence to where you work. That, in other words, to the pier or pier head. And as a final word on the future of the islands, large and small, 
we have the poet's view from Richard Murphy. The larger islands, like Inishbofin, I hope will never, never be evacuated. I think that would, would be terrible. But it is difficult for people to live on a very small island. It becomes lonely. And I remember a few years ago, just before people moved from Inish Turk, when I, I, I went, went out there, and I noticed um, that quite a number of them had um, binoculars and were looking at what was going on on the mainland because they didn't, there wasn't enough happening on the on the land, or uh, they could also see who, see uh, who was coming back to the island from from the mainland. I think what what uh, may happen on the the islands as happening in in in, Sh- in Shark is that the smaller islands might will will probably be be um, taken over gradually by people who want to get away to that kind of of isolation, who want to um, uh, be be on their own uh, for their holidays and uh, some lovely beaches on the the island and want absolute uh, privacy. There are people who love living on islands um, and it would be ideal for them. They're not necessarily the people who were born on them. I certainly have loved islands, always. But I suppose you need some contact with human beings as well. Certainly. <laughs> I, I don't want to live on an island by myself. I don't want to live on an island that the rest of the people are leaving. <laughs> I'd leave, <laughs> leave with them if I were an islander. And it, it, it's, it's very, very sad, say, to go to an island and see the empty houses. It's um, very, very uh, sad indeed. It's um, uh, a, a kind of tradition, almost a traditional sadness. The, it's the old, old uh, sadness of, of ruins, which which um, was a commonplace in in the west of Ireland. I think the beauty of of Connemara is that kind of of um, sad uh, beauty of landscape, which people have abandoned, as it were, or which is is almost uninhabited, or just about to be left by the people who are living in it. This is changing, I think, uh, on the mainland. People are are staying much more. The younger generation who are growing up have a prospect of living at home if they wish to and travelling simply for, for uh, uh, pleasure, excitement, uh, new new outlook, new ideas, new better jobs. But they can live at home now, which is marvellous.